In October, we saw suicide attack in Turkey that killed 102 people in Ankara. Then on our news, we saw of the Russian airliner from Sharm el-Sheikh going back home that was shot down in the Sinai, killing all 224 people on board. We didn't see in our news, unless you looked really hard, but there was a bomb attack a couple of days uh, or in the middle of last week in Beirut where 44 people were blown up with a, by a suicide bomber. And earlier in the month in Baghdad, another suicide bomber went into the middle of a funeral procession as they were carrying the coffin of a loved one and blew themselves up, killing all the funeral procession. And then, of course, on Friday and yesterday and again this morning, we've been seeing in our news all about Paris, at least 120 dead, over 300 injured. What do we do in the world that we're living in? How do we respond? We could go on and think back even further about London, about New York, about the beach in uh, Tunisia, many other places, let alone all those thousands probably that don't even hit the news because it's not involved in the West. And yet day after day after day, people are killed. How should we as Christians respond? Well, turn in your Bibles to Romans, because I want to look today a little bit about how we should respond in the world that we're living in. We're going to take a break from the series that we were doing on the, the armor of God and just look today. What do we do? Let's pray. Lord, as we read your word, as we seek your face, we ask again for your wisdom and your insight and your Holy Spirit to speak to each of us. Lord, we look at the world around us and it seems chaotic. There seems to be no answers. We see these pictures on the news so often. I guess after a while, sometimes we become numb because we see it so often and we feel so helpless. But as we read your word together today, Lord, speak afresh into our hearts and revive within us that, that, that passion to be the people you want us to be. But we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, what does the Bible say about all these situations? What should we, what could we do? How should we think? How should we behave? Well, turn first to Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, it talks about the righteousness of God. But he says at verse 11, God does not show favoritism. And I think it's really important right at the outset when we think about all these situations that we follow that mindset of God that these are all God's children. It's so easy for us to start taking sides. We may have opinions for sure. But when it comes to it, it doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what religion. These are people that are created in the image of God. They are people that Jesus Christ hung on that cross for. And we need to remember that as we come to this whole issue. 
John 3:16 for God so loved the world not for God so loved the followers of him or God so loved a few people but God loved the whole world that he sent his only son that whoever might believe would not die but have eternal life there's a wonderful Jewish i think story about angels that were looking down and they were looking at the people of Israel coming out of Egypt And there they were coming out and they got to the edge of the Red Sea and they stopped there and they saw as the angels looked down the Egyptian army following them and they thought, our people are going to die. What's going to happen? They're they're stuck. They can't get across the water and they're going to be there and the Egyptians are going to come and they got the water behind them. The the whole Egyptian army in front, they got nothing to fight. The people of God are going to be wiped out. And these two angels were there talking, going, what's going to happen? How's this going to work? This is a disaster. And then as they watched, they saw God speak to Moses and he pulled out his staff and the waters opened and the people walked through the middle. And the angels were rejoicing, going, this is fantastic, look, God is working a miracle to save the people. And not only that, they then looked with horror as the Egyptian army came through that same channel straight after them. And then God ordered the waters to close on top of that Egyptian army. And they went, fantastic, this is great. And they were all singing and dancing and rejoicing. We've won, we've won, we've won, we've saved the whole Egypt or the whole Israelite community and the Egyptians are wiped away. And God called them into his presence. And he said, what are you rejoicing about? They said, we won, we won the battle. The people are saved and the Egyptians are wiped away. And God says to them, you are dismissed from my service. And they said, why? And he said, how can you rejoice when some of my children are perishing? God looks on everyone in the same way. He died for everyone. When Jesus hung on that cross, he didn't just look at his followers, he looked at the whole of humanity. He poured the sin of all of humanity onto his shoulders and said, I have died for you. And we need to remember that when we come because we are so quick sometimes to take sides when God doesn't. But turn over to Romans 12. Because in Romans 12 and 13, I think is a key passage that we need to look at just really briefly today, as we think about, well, what then do we do? We recognize that Jesus died, that God doesn't show favoritism, that we are all created in the image of God, male and female, he created them. Jesus died for every single human being on this planet. But here in Romans 12 and 13, God gives for us our how we should behave, our relationship, firstly to God, then to ourselves, then to one another, then to our enemies, then to the government, and then to the law, and lastly to the future and the day of God's return. And in those two chapters, he kind of sums up, if you like, what our attitudes should be like. It's kind of like a mirror that we can hold up to ourselves and say, am I... Am I like this in my relationship with God? 
Am I like this in my relationship with myself? As I look at myself, with one another, with the people that I find it hard to get along with or the people I consider enemies to us. What about to the government or the law or the future? And we'll look just briefly at a few of these. Firstly, look at Romans 13. This is the part, Romans 13, 1 to 7. Talks about our relationship to the government, to those in authority over us. It says this, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, who who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. God says here to us that in an ideal world that he has placed the authorities in their positions. Now this does not mean, sadly, that some authorities don't abuse the positions that God has given them. God has placed in the same way, look at it like this. God has placed Ministers in charge to be pastors, to be shepherds of their people. I am legally employed by God. Did you know that? That's why we can't have a union, because I can hardly take God to court for, for bad conditions and things, right? But legally, I am I'm an office holder and I am employed by God. That's, that's what the state says, that's, that's how it's viewed. So I'm placed by God, and when, when we have a calling to a particular church, it's not about whether you like the person or don't like the person. It's really, the question is, is this the right place for them to serve? Is this the place that God wants them to be? But sadly, when we do that, you've seen, and I've read about as well, that some people in those roles abuse the positions that they have. We see it all the time, don't we? With the... Uh, Uh, some of the issues about um, some priests and others that have abused their role with young children or they've abused their their, uh, role with the, the power and the authority that they have and they bully others and they manipulate others and they cause trouble. Now that doesn't mean to say that God hasn't set up a thing where he appoints people into different places but it's still the responsibility then of individuals to use that responsibility in the way they should. So God puts governments in place, but they have a responsibility then to use the authority and the position that God has given them for the good of all people. 
And so, as we read this passage, we sadly see sometimes that even though God has given them and established them and instituted them in those roles, yet they don't fulfill those roles as they should do. But they are established by God. Look at what Jesus says in John 19, 11. He's standing before Pilate. And Pilate asks him a question, verse 9. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And look what Jesus' response is in verse 11. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. He reminds Pilate that his position there is given to him by God. That he doesn't have the power himself. He's been given that power to be used. He's he's a steward of the power that God has given him. And he needed to be reminded of that. And it says here back in Romans 13, in verse 4, one of the responsibilities of that power is to protect the people and to punish wrongdoing. For rulers, verse 3, hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. What he's saying here is that one of the responsibilities of the government as we prayed for in the government of France, is to protect the people of France, the government of Britain to protect the people of Britain, and also to punish those with justice who do wrong. To go and find those who cause crimes against people and to go and punish them. That is one of the roles that they have. Which then takes us on to the next bit. Look back in chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. So when we see these atrocities, it's not for us individually to take matters into our own hands. Seen those movies about the sort of, you know, always American movies, isn't it? Something happens in their family, their daughter gets stolen or taken away or something, what happens? You know, there's some kind of souffle chef or something or the other who happens to have learned martial arts and goodness knows what else. And, uh, And then they go and they take on the whole world and they, they pull down some massive drug ring or foreign government all single-handedly and rescue their daughter and they all live happily ever after. But the Bible says that's not what we're to do. We're not to be those kind of people. I hope Mama Pixies is not that kind of, you know. We're not to take punishment into our own hands. It's God's responsibility. And ultimately, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says we will all stand before God. 
Those guys who blew themselves up in Paris will be standing before God, answering what they've done. They will stand there just as the victims will need to stand before God and answer to God as well. All of us, every person from the beginning to the end of humanity will stand one day before God and give an account. And ultimately, the justice belongs to God. Sometimes God mediates that through his governments that he has established. I'm just grateful I'm not one that has to pray and say, God, is this what you want us to do every day? It's a tremendous responsibility and one that we need to continually pray for our governments. Because they have that responsibility given to them by God to sometimes be the channel of God's judgment in a situation. I wouldn't like that on my shoulders. I don't know about you. And so we need to pray for them, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, pray for them. Because they have that tremendous responsibility. One day David Cameron will stand before God, give an account. Tony Blair will stand before God and have to answer all about weapons of mass destruction or no weapons and everything else. And God will look in his heart and at that moment he can say whatever he likes but God will see, knows the truth. And the truth will be revealed and he needs to stand there and say that. I wouldn't like that decision to have to be made. I wouldn't want to be that person particularly. And so we need to pray for them that they have that wisdom that comes from God as they govern us. We're not to take it into our own hands. But it says, look and carry on down there. Do not take revenge, verse 19, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the way of Christ, isn't it? Jesus said, I'm going to take the way of overcoming evil in the world by showing you a different pathway. Now, overcome here in the Greek is something that means to master, to gain victory over. How many of you know how to drive? Yeah? You remember when you started or ride a bike or whatever it is? You remember when you start doing something like that? It's impossible, isn't it? You look at it. When I remember when I started to drive. I'm there and I'm going, how, how can you possibly look at the road, hold the thing, and then try and change gear with your foot and your... I'm a bit like this now with a drum kit. I'm like going, how can you this one go like this and the other one and my hands have got... To, it's just impossible. I don't know how they do it. Because all the timing just goes out the window. It's like that when you're driving. You just think, how, how can anybody do this? I don't understand it. Give me an automatic. At least that cuts out a few bits and pieces. But then once you know how to drive, you know, yesterday I just got in the car. I turn it on and off I go. And I'm not even thinking about it. It's just normal, natural to me. Well, I do think about what I'm doing, but you know what I mean. I'm not consciously going, oh, now I've got to change gear. Oh, now I've got to let go of the steering wheel. And, oh, where, where's, where's, the, where's the gear lever? Oh, and you're banging around with your hand trying to find it when you're starting to drive. And, oh, there it is. And then you have to remember to push the clutch pedal in. And then you 
get it in the wrong gear and you stall it and everybody's like, and there's a five mile tailback behind you. But now you just do it automatically and here it's saying it in the same way. Do not be automatically like that, overcome by evil. But automatically have it part of your life that everything that is evil is automatically overcome with good. It's mastered. It's, the victory is gained. You know how to do it. It's just a way of life as it was for Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't have to think about how to overcome evil with good. He just naturally did it over and over and over again. And he calls us to do the same. In Luke 6, 27, he says, I tell you, who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 35, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Jesus, it was just natural for him, and he says we need to be natural for us too. So what do we do about these situations? What in practical terms can we do as we live in a world that is increasingly spiraling out of control and we see these events more and more often? Well, the first thing we need to do, of course, is to pray. The first thing we do in any situation is prayer. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, you've heard that it was said, love your enemies, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He goes on, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The first thing we need to do is to pray. Pray for everybody who's involved. We pray for the victims we pray for their families. But we also pray for those who caused those situations, the perpetrators. And we pray for their hearts and their lives that somehow must have been so twisted and warped that they were willing to go and do these kind of things. What cause, what pain was in their lives that, that they would go into a place and blow themselves up and kill as many other people as they could with them? We need to pray for these people, these people who are listening to these messages today, the next group of people who are going to come along and try and follow it or do even worse things. We need to pray for them and lift them to God and say, Lord, touch them. Even though they're hearing all these negative messages, Lord, come and speak to their hearts. Show them yourself. Show them who you truly are. Show them that there is a different way. There is the way of love, not the way of hate. And so we need to lift these people. We need to lift our governments to God too, as I've already said. What an impossible position they're placed in. What do they do? 
Do they curb our freedom to try and make things safer? And then we complain that we don't like having all these guns on the streets. Donald Trump yesterday went on the, on the campaign trail in America. He said, you know the problem? The problem is that all those people in Paris were not armed. If they had guns on them, you wouldn't have seen that kind of death toll. We pray for governments. We pray for our leaders that they see the way of peace rather than the way of violence. We pray for all the agencies, the medical staff and the doctors, the nurses, the ambulances, the fire brigade, the police. Those troops on the streets, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the troops they're hiding almost behind their vehicles. The fear that must be in their lives and the lives of families, wives, children, where their dads are going out or their mothers are going out, risking their lives. We lift them to God. And we pray too for others. What's this going to mean to the refugees running away from Syria? People have already started saying, some of these may have been refugees that were coming in. Let's block all our borders off again. Let's not let these people in. They're running away from a war zone where they're facing this day after day, trying to find sanctuary somewhere else. And here they're caught. And we need to pray for them too. And for organizations that are seeking to help. We get on our knees and we pray and we pray and we pray. I was talking to somebody just on Friday evening and they said, how's this ever going to change in our world? And I said, I reminded them that we were saying that a number of years ago about the Berlin Wall and about reconciliation in South Africa and about all these other issues. We said they would never change. They've been like that for too long. And yet the wall came down and Germany was reunited. Desmond Tutu and others, Nelson Mandela stood up in South Africa and said, there's a better way, there's a different way. And the Reconciliation Committee began its work and said, let's, let's build a future. And it's not perfect, of course, but it's a step in the right direction. We thought there would never be an end to the violence in, North, in uh, Northern Ireland. And yet, the sides have been brought together and are now talking where they used to be bombing one another. We pray and ask God to change our world. Second thing we need to do is to show love. In Matthew 5, 44. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We need to demonstrate a practical love to people around us. We need to show that there is a different way in our world than the way of retaliation and violence. Where does it really get us? A new commandment, Jesus said to his disciples, I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
We need to demonstrate that visibly. That as we love people around us, we will show that we love Jesus Christ. And love is the only pathway to real change. If we want to see our world changed, then we need to learn how to love people again. Think about your community around you. Think about your neighbors. Think about if you've got a a neighbor who's a Muslim, a neighbor who comes from the Middle East, a neighbor who comes from Syria or from Iraq, what do you think they're going through right now? And how can you show the practical love of Jesus Christ to them? What's going to go on in the mosque in Harrah? What are they going to be feeling? Because I will guarantee that they will have looks, they will have comments, they will have you know, things happening to them as a people from a certain part of our community that says, you're all the same. There is no difference. These are Muslim extremists, they're therefore Muslim, therefore you are one of them. And we need to say that there is a different way. There are people here who are going about their understanding of God is different to ours. But how can we show love to them? What can we do? Maybe we go around, maybe we drop a card through the door. Maybe we go talk to them. Maybe we go take some flowers around or do something that shows that actually, you know what? We still care. We still love. We understand. We are praying as they are for a change in our world. Let's do something practically. Think about the situation. Maybe a work colleague Maybe a neighbor, whoever it is, do something practical to show the love of Jesus. Because it's easy for us to talk about love and yet do nothing about it. But love is a verb. Love is an action. Somebody said that recently. You have to do something to show love for others. Think about what you can do with the people around you to build community, to build and show love so that they will then say, you know what happened to me? I got a Christian who lives next door. I work with this Christian. You know what they did? You know what that says about our faith and about Jesus Christ when you do something like that? What can you do in the place that God has put you? Thirdly, we need to speak up for understanding. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, live in peace with everyone. The aim that we have, what God says over and over and over again in the pages of Scripture is to live in peace. In Romans 12, going back there, verse 8, it tells us to live, to live in peace. Sorry, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God wants us to live in that kind of peace. It needs to be central to our lives, to our hearts. And so we need to keep speaking of peace, working for peace. Being peace in our situations. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? Someone that speaks out, speaks up, for what they believe in, their values, who they are. 
And we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And if peace is a core value of Jesus Christ, then we need to be speaking peace to the people around us. And so when there are debates, as there always are, when there are talk, talking, as there always is, when people start sharing about what's right and what's wrong, we need to be careful we don't get caught up in those discussions, but that we actually speak words of peace and reconciliation. That we are peacemakers. And that goes one step further, not that we just speak peace, but that we are peace in those situations. How easy is it for us to get worked up? We get on our justice machine and we go, this is right, this is wrong. We've got to change this. We've got to do something. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. To be a peacemaker, we need to be at peace ourselves. We need to have that peace within us. The peace of God that passes all understanding, guarding our thoughts, our hearts. The armor of God coming on, the breastplate of righteousness, of a right relationship, the helmet of salvation, the truth of the belt. We need to have that in our lives so that in every situation we can demonstrate peace. Because then you can become a channel of God's blessing, a channel of his grace. People will be getting worked up around you. You can stay calm and say, you know what? We don't just talk about peace. We live peace together. You know, one of the great things about Gandhi was not just the words, but the man himself, wasn't it? He lived what he spoke. He was peace. Even when they were oppressing him and trying to, you know, he lived a life of peace. So that what he spoke and what he did were married together. And we need to be the same. And lastly, we go back. 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray in all circumstances. Keep on praying. Prayer is what transforms the world around us. Prayer changes things. I don't know how it all works. I, I don't understand the timings of prayer. And certainly it's not that if more people pray, it will get done quicker. That's not how it works either. It's, not, it's, it doesn't, it's in God's hands. But you know what happens when we pray? You know what happens when I pray? I open myself up to the Spirit of God to come in and transform me. And through that transformation in me, he molds me and makes me more like his son, Jesus Christ. So I can be more a peacemaker. I can be more at peace. I can live out what it means to be Jesus Christ in the situations that he places me in. And the more people who pray, who open themselves up and allow God to come in and transform them, the more peacemakers we will have in our world around us. God also somehow takes our prayers, transforms them, and uses them in other situations. That's true. There's no formula as to how that works, but he asks us to do it. He says, pray, lift your concerns to me. And somehow he takes them and he works through them and he brings transformation in situations. 
He says, if you say to this mountain, pick yourself up, if you've got faith, it will happen. If we pray for an end to the conflict in Syria, somehow I believe God will bring an end to that conflict. If we pray for these refugees that are living on the streets across Europe and are fleeing for their lives, that they be found homes, God will stir up people to give them homes. If we pray for our government to be a government that is based on truth and on honesty and on on righteousness, then I believe God gives us or will give us a government that is based on those things. He will speak into the lives of our leaders and he will touch them and they will be what they need to be. If we pray for a transformation in the community around us, then God will bring that transformation in our community. He will keep pestering people in their lives, keep speaking to them until that happens. And so we need to pray. Pray and pray and never stop praying until we see an end to this violence in our world, until we see people who are listening to the kind of evil and placing it in their lives that would take them into a rock concert and blow themselves up and take as many people with them or into a restaurant or onto a beach or into a funeral or wherever that they may have a change of heart and a change of life and see that there is a better way that Jesus came to show us. So today as we finish our service I want us to pray. I want us just to get into groups and just pray, pray for Paris, pray for uh, Beirut, pray for Baghdad, pray for the world in which we live in. And just spend a few moments together just praying as God has spoken to us for the situations we've seen, but pray for that transformation in individuals, in governments, in the world around us. And the good news is, as bad as it gets here, one day there will be an end. That Christ will return. And there will be a world in which there is no more death, no more pain, no more of this stuff that we see. But a day where we will truly live together as brothers and sisters to his honor and his glory. So let's go into groups. Maybe Ronnie can play a little bit quietly. Let's just get into little groups together and just spend five minutes praying, either pray quietly or if there's people that can lead, that would be great. And we just pray for the world, pray for people, pray for situations.